Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning, Minnie? Oh, I'm so good. Oh, okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right here for a moment. Stop right here for a moment. Minnie normally begins with, look... This is this is this is Minnie's normal normal beginning of the day is look and, and, and then and then she clarifies where she's up to. She, well, it's a bit that this way. This is no. the first time. No, it's not the first. This is the second time. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, probably one of the future. No, okay. So now Minnie has come in and said, "I'm so good." Okay, well, let me give you some context. Um, I I've been pretty sleep deprived for quite a while. Self-inflicted. It's, yes. It is what it is. And then yesterday, uh, basically I've spent the past like many days to like tired from the time I woke up until I went to bed and I was like, this is the worst. And then yesterday, I didn't mean to, but I got home and just slept. And right. then my family came out from Victoria, which was awesome. I haven't seen them for two years. They didn't tell me they were coming. They just drove out for like 12 hours. They're spending the day and then driving back today. Um, saw them for lunch, went back, didn't mean to, but again, had a big old sleep. My friend came to visit me, Ruth, and then so we had a bit of a chat and then I had to do some stuff, went back to sleep, but I just, it was just good. I was just like, I feel caught up on sleep. I got to have my devotions last night and this morning before I came to radio, sometimes it's hard. I just, I just don't get it in there before I come. And so I woke up, just had some mean time with Jesus this morning and I'm like less sleep deprived and there's people and the sun's come back to me. Like there's just so many things. That's amazing. <laughs> that is absolutely, truly amazing. How are you feeling? Oh, just incredible. Yeah, I knew you'd just say absolutely that. Absolutely incredible. That's your to go to, isn't it? No, it's good. It's what we like to hear. Yeah, that's right. It's what well, the people it's, want to it's hear. It's a new day. You know, it is rather surprising that the sun is shining outside. It wasn't actually forecast to be shining. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And Minnie, what have we got for some positively different news this morning? Oh, okay, well, let me tell you. You know what? I actually I read this story and it just reminded me it's not the same, obviously. But you know that parable Jesus tells about old mate, he goes fine he's got some land, he digs up some treasure, so he goes, sells everything he has to buy this piece of land. It just reminded me of that, even though it's not quite the same. But a family in New Forest area of Hampshire in England, they were gardening, just just pulling some weeds, and they found a haul of 63 gold coins dating back to the 15th century. Oh, that's 15th. pretty cool. Right? Yes. Could you imagine how stoked you would be to garden? I'd be like... Let's go see what else we can find. Oh, I'd be out there with a metal detector. I'd be hiring a metal detector tomorrow. I'd do the whole property. <laughs> but so basically the highlight of the hoard was the collection of four coins um, bearing the initials of the wives of Henry VIII, so Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour, according to the British Museum. I don't know that much about why that's significant except that he was a king and these were some of his wives. And it, I think he's a bit crazy. But... Um, so this pandemic stay-at-home orders, they have led to a boost of fines in home gardens. So they reckon they found over 47,000 pieces and about 6,000 discoveries. People have made, just from like being at home or just like just random See, this is, one of, this is one of the things that's fascinating about living in a country that has a very, very old uh. civilization that revolves, that is, that is also industrial. Yes, yeah. Because a lot of what you would have here in Australia that we would find would not be recognisable as actually being an implement used by human beings, whereas mm. when you're in Europe or the Middle East or something like that, you can dig up something while you're just digging your garden that is literally, <laughs> you know, 
thousands and thousands of years old and easily recognisable for what it is. Yep. Well, they said one of the other things they found which was really significant was not the same family but a furniture fitting dating nearly 2,000 years ago. So it, it depicted the ancient Greek god Oceana, so it just had like a face on this thing. But it's it's very clear. Like it doesn't look yes. that eroded. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> and I just imagine how fun that would be. Like that's like the best treasure hunt for kids. Like, so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you lived in one of these countries, here's what you could do during COVID: <laughs> is do an archaeological dig in your backyard yeah, to see what's there. Yeah, dig some dig some archaeological trenches and mm. see what you can discover and see what you can interpret from it. And uh, because I mean, you know, it's it's kind of one of those places where you know Europe, the Middle East, etc. Anywhere you want to start digging, anywhere you want to start building a road, you're going to find stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. Because there's just stuff everywhere. And that's something, yeah, like you said, Australia, we just don't have that history. <laughs> no, it's no. It's not there. Because, like, you know, the, um, the, the the Aboriginal folk, the Indigenous um, people that lived here before were using a lot of stone tools and those kind of things, yeah. which to the untrained eye are not going to be recognisable. Uh-huh. And, of course, a lot of implements that are made out of wood which simply don't last. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we don't have the, uh, wow, when you travel overseas, you suddenly realise just how much history there is out there, you know, and you've got people living in homes that are like 2,000 years old, just buildings yeah. been there for 2,000 years. It's like, yeah, welcome to my home. It's like 2,000 years old. And, you know, I'm living in a house that's 105 years old and I think it's old. It's old, yeah. You know? I remember once a friend from England came to visit me. I was visiting other friends in South Australia and I was like, man, there's some cool history down here. She fully just looked at me and laughed at me. She was, so she knows me as Charlie and she's like, Charlie, this is not history. I was like, well, for Australia it is, okay? Like- that's right, that's right. If it's 100 years old in Australia, there's like ancient. <laughs> we, go to a, we go to a cemetery and like, oh, there's dates there from the 1800s. That Ooh, must be, this is like mind-bendingly old. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. No, it's interesting. But, uh, yeah, and so with that, John Naylor, this is specific, speaking of the coins again, He's from the Ashmolean Museum and he reckons the hoard of coins was likely hidden by either a wealthy merchant or clergy fearful of Henry VIII during the dissolution of monasteries in which he took control of many religious communities' assets. So I guess they, you know, dig it and then hope to find it later. Clearly didn't. Buried it. Possibly got executed in the process. Never went back to find it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, another story. So wild bison in Europe. Are recovering numbers to so considerably that they are no longer considered to be a vulnerable species. Which I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Um, so large-scale conservation strategies have accomplished this um, through giving them time, space, and safety. So a century ago, they estimated there was only around fifty European bison on Earth. Now there's over six thousand. Uh, so yeah, European bison. Uh, now there's over six thousand. Uh, Dr. Jane Smart is a global director of IUCN's Biodiversity Conservation Group. And she says that today's red list update, which basically talks about what species are vulnerable and what aren't, um, they're providing living proof that the world can set and meet um, ambitious biodiversity targets. Um, And what I found interesting was in uh, English conservationists and wildlife managers are interested in the effects that they have on their landscape. So as large grazing herbivores, um, they're constantly foraging, digging, scuffing, breaking up like the floor... um, in the forest, and it's been hypothesised that this is having tremendous revitalising effects on the ecosystem. Um, so bison kill weak or dead trees by eating their bark or rubbing against them to remove their thick winter fur. This turns the tree into food and habitat for insects, which in turn provides food for birds. So 
Then the resulting pocket of sunlight allows new plants to grow, replenishing the woodland. It's just this whole big old cycle. And I know we've talked about that before with some of our Australian marsupials, which don't have a great time because of feral predators that get them. And we've seen that they, um, when they've been given a chance to thrive, that that's also really helping our um, ecosystems. Yeah, it's amazing. I thought bison were an American thing, you know. Well, same. Same as your story. I was like, because oh, of it, I, I guess I guess we thought they were an American thing. Well, they were kind of shot out in both countries, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. They had not different really, reasons. Yeah, yeah. but um, but coming back in both countries, it seems. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know until their story that they existed in Europe at all, and I was like, there they, you go. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Did you just do a cheeky giggle? I did. It. I did indeed. I did you like, not believe me? I was just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or an American thing, but they're not, and they look just like American bison. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting, right? Totally different continents, but um, yeah, yeah. But I, I just think go them. Um, I mean, I look. I'm not convinced. I've heard some arguments that people go, "Yeah, we can totally get our Earth back to completely sustainable." I'm like, we don't. No, Jesus is coming. Absolutely. Uh, that doesn't. But mean- we should do what we can. Yes, that's the thing. I don't think we go. Oh well, throw up our hands. Let's just self destruct. That's yeah, fine. No, no. No. But um, but it is still cool to see. It is. I'm stoked. I don't think we'll get back to perfect. We won't. I know that. But it's nice and like, oh, yes, animals live. <laughs> and they're back again. And we thought they were going to become extinct. Exactly. And now there's lots of them. So exactly. May their numbers increase and proliferate. Yeah, that's an interesting word. I was looking for a word. And <laughs> that's worked. what came to mind. <laughs> that was the one that came to mind. It works. Yeah, it did the job. It's going to do the job. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so talking about uh, more serious news, let's uh, see where we're going here. Yeah, so remember remember this time last year? Yes. What was I it? was not in Australia, but I believe there was fires or floods. I don't know. Fires. Okay, fires, yes. So this time last year, and I was just chatting with somebody about this yesterday and I was like, yeah, this time last year it was um, blazing heat. We were at the end of a massive drought, like the worst drought that mm. I think anybody, any living person had ever seen. It was a drought that was so bad that the gum trees – Gum trees were just dying, like whole hillsides just dying. Mm. Uh, you could drive out west and there was no wildlife, there was no birds, there was no kangaroos, there was there was just nothing. The ferals were still there. They seemed to survive well, but just absolutely nothing whatsoever at all. And we'd been breathing smoke for, well, a couple of months by this time last year. Mm. Every day we were just breathing smoke. You couldn't see. It was hazy. The smoke was thick. It was horrid. Kind of feels like it was like ten years ago, doesn't mm. it? A lot has happened, and people are like, "Oh, twenty twenty. Let's just delete twenty twenty from the history books and forget that." Well, twenty nineteen wasn't that wasn't great. That great. And when I look back at twenty nineteen and I look where twenty twenty one is headed, I'm sort of thinking, you know, this is the new reality for our world as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. This is kind of the new reality for the world that we live in. Mm. And so right now we're being hit here on the East Coast with massive storms and rain and a bunch of us were out in the weather yesterday mingling with the elements and got thoroughly drowned by the rain that was coming down. We've got Stockton Beach that is disappearing again for like the third time this year. Mm. Um, We've got roads up north that have been completely washed away. Bribie Island in Queensland is now Bribie Island North and Bribie Island South. Seriously. For the first time ever in history, the storm has completely cut it in half. It is now two islands. <laughs> just carved straight through it, just, just wiped out the sand dunes and like, yep, two islands now. Wow. Never, ever happened before. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the question is, 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 is this kind of like the new normal? I, I think it is. 
because Jesus is coming soon. Exactly. I, and this is what the Bible says. You know, the sea and the waves roaring is one of the descriptions of what our world will be like just before Jesus comes back. Mm. Which is the hope in that, right, too. Oh, absolutely. Because we know that yes. he's coming back. So we're like, yes. oh, yep, things are a bit messy, but it's not like, well, even if it's catastrophic, it's not because a message of, yeah, a message of hope in this calamity is a message of love. Oh, absolutely. Indeed it is. All right, so that was um, that was that was the first thing I want to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about is this uh, religious rehab center in Sydney, and this always disturbs me when I have to tell stories about you know religious programs, particularly Christian programs. And this is a Christian program, and when allegations are made, things are said, and it's just disappointing because there is a lot that takes place within Christianity that brings Christianity into disrepute and makes Christianity look like a bunch of nut jobs. Mm. And where that really stems from is people who are not studying and reading their Bibles. Mm-hmm. People who listen to the preacher or, uh, you know, even Lyle and Minnie on Faith FM radio and don't go back and check it out from their Bibles. Mm-mm. Yeah, for sure. And people who follow YouTube religion rather than following Christ, and we get all of these kind of crackpots that are around the place. And one of the challenges that we have in Australia is that there is no regulation for rehab centres. You could literally, many, go to your house, put up a shingle outside of your house, proclaim it a rehab centre, and have the next day magistrates sending women to your house for rehabilitation Uh requirement as they're released from jail. This makes zero sense. What? How does this happen? I don't understand. Okay, so this and this gives you an example of what happens when you've got no regulation because this particular one has been set up. There's like four of them across Sydney. Uh, let me see, what is it called here? Called Healing House. Uh, it's Christian-based and mm. I think that uh, that is the very best basis you can have for rehabilitation. I think that they should all be Christian-based, but there is no formal drug um, uh, program to you know, help people get off drugs. No formal program. There are no staff. Mm-hmm. There's no medical professionals that are there on a regular basis or ever at all. There's no mental health professionals that come through on a regular basis. You've got these women, they're coming out of prison. Uh, there's a lot of mental health issues in prison. Mm. You've, they're, they're going into these these houses. It was They were initially set up as women's refuges. Now they've morphed into rehab centres and they're getting none of this. What they do get is daily daily videos of what is supposed to be Christ-centered structured recovery model. Now, I know from working with um you know with 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 online evangelism and so forth that doing stuff via video is pretty uh what should you say it's a it's a it's it's a much longer shot. You have much less impact than yeah. when you do something in person. So it's just like, well, you're forced to live in this house because if you leave this house, then you're going back to jail. That's the requirements of the law. You're going to be there for months or years, depending on what the magistrate has decreed. And you have to watch these videos every day that may or may not be good and may or may not have any impact at all. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, I really can't comment too much on the content of um, the videos that they get fed. So how long have people been there? Like what's the longest people have stayed there? For more than a year. But what you've got is situations where women after a matter of weeks have been pleading to go back to jail. Oh. 
Yeah. So so it it's pretty terrible. Um, now what they do, I, I don't know a lot about what the you know the, the the content of the videos and so forth. I can't really comment on that, but I can comment on some of the stuff that is is being presented there uh, that has been highlighted in this report and that is the whole concept of becoming high on God and breathing in the Holy Spirit and becoming drunk on God. Oh dear. Yes. Oh dear. Okay. Okay, and here's where the crackpot aspect of Christianity comes in mm. because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches nothing like that. There, you know, this is this is where you get some some crackpots on YouTube that go out there and like, "Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to do the other, we're going to have these ecstatic experiences." And they're not having a real relationship with God. They're not promoting a real relationship with God. Mm. When I have a relationship with my wife, I don't get high on my wife. Mm-hmm. And our relationship with God is described in the same language as our relationship with our spouse and with our family. We are described as being the family of God. Mm. We are not described, the Bible does not tell us that we take God as a drug. Yeah, fully. As a mind altering drug. That's not what the Bible is describing. Mm. It's describing having a normal but healthy Mm. relationship. It's still a transformational experience, but that's a totally different thing. Totally different yeah. thing. Not totally, totally, mm. totally different thing. So you can sort of see why there's been a bunch of these women that's like, yeah, please take us back to jail. And, of course, they turn up there. You've got, you've got a bunch of women that are struggling with their mental health mm. and they're struggling with their addictions. These are going to be women who are going to struggle to take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you've got no staff. Oh, man. So you yeah. can imagine you walk into a home like that and, you know, they've come out of jail where there is a lot of staff. Mm. And everything's kept, you know, hygienic and so forth. And these homes are just, just filth. And I just imagine too, even having a network. Like literally, just this morning, I was talking to a friend who's been trying to quit um, smoking, and he has some good friends who are just into some dodgy stuff. And he's like, "Man, I just need a better network." That's right. right? And you're heading you into a no ne- network. You're heading into a dodgy network here mm. of people that all come from the same background. Yeah. That's going to be tough. It's not going to be successful. And it makes it makes Christianity just look bad when these kind of things happen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone right now is Jennifer Skews to talk about emotional health. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's uh, great to have you on the show this morning. Of course, we're picking up from last week. So where are we going to start uh, today's conversation? Well, we talked. We talked a lot about the heart and the brain connection. So there's so much good information scientifically that just amazes me and and indicates more and more how uh, amazingly we are created and uh, what a wonderful God we want. So I thought I'd start by sharing some of that information about the heart and then we can start looking at the brain as well. Um, For example, our heart rhythms affect the brain's ability to process information So if the heart's not right, the brain can't work, which is an interesting one. So often we look at the brain and go, why isn't my brain working? Well, now we've got to go, well, what's wrong with my heart? It's not beating properly. Um, The heart has 40,000 sensory neurons that relay information to the brain, right? And when in fetal development, the heart forms and starts before the brain. So that is the first organ that is active, then the brain develops after that. So often we look at the brain and, again, not the heart. Um, And another interesting fact is the mother's brain waves can synchronise with the baby's heartbeats even when they're a few feet apart. 
And uh, this is really part of the bonding process when you look at it. There's this synchrony and attachment between a mother and child, and this is why, because there is a physiological process. Okay, so because the child then has developed, obviously, in the mother's womb, yes, it's developed into this so that what you're saying then, let me get this right, is that even Mm -hmm. after the child is born, they can still synchronise together. They do. Physiologically, the mother is picking up the baby's heartbeats, and this is where she can then respond to the baby if it's distressed or happy. But this is where you get separation anxiety if the child is taken from mum too quickly, Mm. um, separated. So you can see where... Um, what happens then between mother and child. You know, go go ahead, Minnie. I was just going to say, does that mean the reverse is true too? Like we know emotions affect our heart, you know, like if I'm panicked, Mm -hmm. my heart will go crazy. Um, Does that mean too that then if the mum is under quite bad stress that the baby picks that up as well? Yes, it is. Even in the womb, the baby responds to the mother's emotional anxiety or stress. And apparently about oh, a month before the baby's born, that it actually will take on mother's emotions. Wow. So, yeah, we'll wire them in, like anxiety, fear, love, whatever. You know, it's not all bad because mothers really can love their children when they're in the womb and excited about them coming. So mm. there's a lot of positives. Hmm. That's absolutely incredible. Now, you said that they can they can achieve this from a few feet away, and so I'm thinking yes. this seems to me to be a a great way of um, of you know um, supporting, say, breastfeeding and this kind of thing, because obviously that you know produces a, a lot of closeness between mother and child. Yes. Oh, it does, as well as whatever the breast milk is for that child for it to develop, but also it's the bonding process. And it's actually in that feeding process that um, if the child is feeling attached to mother, it will have healthy development um, mentally, emotionally, and certainly the brain. Whereas if the child is feeling disconnected in that feeding process or mummy's anxious or distressed, then the child doesn't feel attached or connected. And if that continues, then that affects the child's development, personality, relationships, particularly after two years of age. Um, So how mum is does affect that child greatly, particularly in the feeding process. I'm feeling kind of uh, just a little bit ripped off as a dad now because (laughs) I'm missing out on all of this kind of thing. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, but it's... uh, Amazing what you can do to help parents bond with their children and this is where knowledge is powerful and if I'm working with a soon-to-be mum and I share this information, it can make a big difference to their perception of their child and how they bond with it because it's now unconscious awareness that uh, can help the process. For how long after a child is born does this mm-hmm. connection remain and the ability to connect in this way remain? Okay. Um, I Usually they say up to about two there is a major connection, which I believe, and I didn't look at a time frame, that is part of that synchrony. Um, and this is where the mother has to be the regulator of emotions for the child during that time to help it to self-regulate emotionally. And this means the mother has to pick up every signal the child gives or the baby gives to do with their emotional content which is why a mother can be at a distance and yet go, there's something wrong. 
you know, and they'll pick it up and go and soothe the child or, you know, they pick up on their sounds as well. But I believe it is in that first two years, this is crucial bonding time um, for the child and the mother because of this, but also how the mother responds. Okay, so what does that then say about, um, you know, mothers who, you know, have to go back to work, you know, during mm-hmm. that two-year period? Is that going to create an emotional um Disadvantage, risk. I guess, risk for children. I yeah, I believe for a number of children, yes. Um, I would say that if that baby has bonded with a grandparent or the father, the father can be the maternal figure. Uh, sometimes mum will go back to work, and dad loves being home with the kids and is the feeder and the bonder. So it just depends on what the circumstances are, but certainly. Um, you know, I think putting children in daycare, which you know, some people wouldn't agree with me, but I think that is too much of a separation for that child for, it, for its healthy development on all levels. Now, you mentioned the role of the father here. Um, can the father develop a same, I guess you would call it a physiological bond uh, with the child where they link in with the child's heartbeat and are able to sense the same... Um, things through the brain or is that just, you know, they haven't had the child in the womb and so they're going to miss out on that? It's a hard one because I haven't looked at research on that but I would say that um, if the father, because some males, some fathers have a real, that paternal aspect that they really do bond well with the child and then they're going to pick up, maybe not so much on the heartbeat but certainly on the signals the child gives with its noises and non-verbals. So I believe a father can be a good bonded parent uh, because mum will come home and that will resume. But um, research does show that if there's a fragmented relationship and the child isn't well bonded by the age of two and is not feeling attached, it affects personality development and it affects the relationships they'll have further down the track. And this is uh, research on the brain development of the brain um, of that child. So I'm I'm the I'm the kind of person who um, is a very strong supporter of I guess traditional roles in the family uh, where possible. Yes. And yes. from from what you're saying right here, what what's coming across to me is that one of the bigger roles that the father can do um, mm-hmm. as a as a provider in the family is to provide a peaceful home environment where the yes. mother is able to then transfer that or, or, or pass that peacefulness onto her children. So so as a, as, as a good provider and, you know, and creating that kind of environment, I see an incredible role that the, the father can play. Oh, absolutely, because that harmony between the parents and the love that they can share and how they uh, – and what the children see and experience, even in fetal development, is huge in their security and healthy development you know, as they go through once they're born and through life. So, but if the family is fragmented and the mother's distressed, then the child is affected by that. But certainly a well-bonded family is, I mean, it's, it's the way to go. It's what children need. Now, of course, a lot of children don't have the benefits of that and we you know, live in a world where we've got to deal with reality. So if, uh, you know, for those people who are living in a fragmented family um, yes. and, you know, either the father or the mother is, is raising the children or they're sharing it between mm-hmm. each other, what are some of the mm-hmm. best things that they can do to, uh, to help this child to bond with the parents and to be able to, you know, and to be able to really nurture this child? 
Well, I think certainly working on their own relationship and having that bond between them where they can come into agreement because even pre-2, a child soon picks up if mum and dad aren't well connected and uh, will take advantage of it. You know, children have a massive learning. The, the most we'll ever learn is in the first, well, the fastest we learn is in the first seven years of life. After that, that learning capacity slows down. So it's a, all of that is absorbed by the child. So, yeah, if, if you have loving parents and who are on the same page, basically, and can work together, then the child's going to have maximum input to be healthy and develop really well. Right. So if you're in a situation where, you know, there has been a separation and that sometimes is mm. you know, quite a necessary thing to take place because it creates more harmony than, you know, if the family had stayed together. I mm. guess the moral of this story is then to make that separation as harmonious as possible to, okay, we've yeah. separated because we can't live together, but now that we've separated, we can actually be adults about this and yes. we can figure out what is the best way to look after our children. And I've seen that uh, quite a few times where parents will live near each other, the children go between houses, and those children can grow up really healthily. They know mum loves them, dad loves them. So um, it's, it is important, that relationship between the parents, even if they don't work well together and they decide to live separately. Mm. You know, I've seen very healthy children, and even as they get older, they realise, well, it wasn't good with mum and dad together, but it works well together when we, you know, we have both of them and we can go from one to the other. Mm, mm, yeah. And, and that's just, I guess, part of the challenge of the, of the yeah. world that we live in these days, and so yeah. we've got to make yeah. the, best of, uh, the best of it wherever yeah. we can. And- yes. Yeah. There is another variable in that where... Children, different children deal with it differently. You might get a family of three and two of them do really well with what's happened between mum and dad, but the third one is damaged by it. And they're probably people I see in my practice. Um, Or if mum's aware of it, I've had parents come to me where we work on that to help that child to adjust to the changes and feel loved, you know, because... Different children have different sensitivities, different gene pool, different personalities. So it is individual as to how they deal with that sort of thing. How much different well, – what, what's the different level of, uh, I guess, trauma that a child faces with a separation? And we're probably going down a little bit of a different path here between, between a separation and a death of a, of, of a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mean like if, if one of the parents dies, that's yes. sort of separation. Yeah. Um, that's very traumatic for children and it comes back to how it's dealt with um, by the parent because it's hard because obviously the parent is going to grieve if the mother is the survivor. She's grieving the loss of her husband or partner and then the child is in a position where it's, it's got to deal with the loss as well as what mum's going through. So it comes back to family support, what, how they deal with it, um, helping the child grieve, which a lot of people seem to think children get over it, but children need to learn to grieve as well. Mm. We're not a good culture for teaching people to grieve. We don't, you know, unless I find probably Christians um, who have some belief or anyone who has a belief of afterlife or God, it makes a difference in how they grieve and how the children deal with it. Uh, I see a tremendous role here for, um, or for churches in particular, because, mm-hmm. 
we, I see, I see a bigger community here where churches can step in and can provide for families and can provide support for mm-hmm. children and for families that have yeah. either broken up um, through separation yeah. or death. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and I think that you know there's a there's a huge challenge that I can put out to church members right now that this yeah. is going to be a reality in your congregations. You are going to see this from time to time, and let's provide whatever support we can. Yes, and this is where it's like an extended family. And there is good research on showing that extended families work really well. Different cultures have extended families, the Amish community, the Asian communities, and children seem to cope a lot better and feel part of a family if there's that extended family. And that's where the church can be an extended family. Friends can be an extended family for that child. Fantastic. Jennifer Skews, thank you so much for joining us this morning. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.